Welcome back, friends, to today's episode of the Reynolds Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to help encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and online at rayreynoldswrap.com. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back. It is good to be with you as always, and I'm always blessed to be able to have an opportunity to share some insight and thoughts with you through the Reynolds Rap podcast. I want to begin by encouraging you to go check out our website, uh, rayreynoldswrap.com, and got a lot of great stuff there. In fact, um, started restarted, I guess you could say, relaunched the blogs uh, each week, and of course there's lots of uh, information there for outlines and uh, books and things like that. If you're interested in some free downloads for Bible class books, there are four, I think, on there. We'll drop two more this week, so lots of exciting stuff and um, and links to some other great uh, podcasts and ministries that we support at Reynolds Wrap. So anyways, today we're going to be talking about the cross. I uh, actually have a couple of files <clears throat> of different you know, just different podcast ideas, topics that I want to be able to cover. And I had looked at this particular file a couple of times and decided I'd wait. I was actually going to try to do something around Easter and it just didn't work. But um, today I want to talk about the cross. In fact, I want to start with back in 1998, I believe it was, in 99, uh, I was living in Idaho, working at a church there. And in the time that I was working at this particular congregation, they were small, about 60 people. And what we would do is every year or every other year, they would have a, basically a gospel meeting. And uh, it was hard to get people to come out there into the middle of nowhere. So usually we would get guys from, you know, in, in South Idaho uh, to come and do the gospel meeting. <clears throat> and for those of you who aren't familiar with gospel meetings, it's like, uh, our our version of a revival, I say our version, uh, in the Churches of Christ, some people frown on the word revival. I don't know why. Um, it must have been weaned on a pickle or something. But anyways, the, instead of calling it a revival, we'll call it a gospel meeting. And usually people will come and uh, hear messages. Sometimes it's themed, sometimes it isn't. And we'll have a guest speaker come from out of town and, and speak for usually Sunday through Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I did one one year that was a full eight days, and we started on a Sunday and ended on a Sunday, but those are rare. And so anyways, we were having this meeting, and uh, the way that they did it is they would combine two events at once. So we had a youth rally on Saturday, all day, and then we had the speaker also speak Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I think Wednesday. We may have ended it on Tuesday night, but it was a short little meeting. And when we got together to talk about the themes, the, the men of the church just said, basically, well, you just pick something. So I called the speaker and I said, what do you want to talk about? And he said, I want to talk about the cross. And I said, well, that's great. What do you want to talk about about the cross? <clears throat> and he said, I, I think just different views of the cross. And I said, well, OK, give me some ideas of what you want to th- talk about. And he so he did. He basically told me his outline and then we collectively added to it. But he did a this four-day, three, four-day meeting and youth rally on the cross. And we actually both spoke at the youth rally portion. And then and then he took over for the meeting part. And we we went through and, and viewed the cross from different angles. So you have 
Jesus's view of the cross. <clears throat> and he's thought about it for years and years. He's brought himself to that point. You know, when he looks at that cross, what does he see? So what's his view? What's his view while he's on the cross? Then we did a lesson on the Father's view. Like, how did God, the Father, view the cross from heaven? How did he view the sin, the shame that was laid upon Jesus' shoulders? Um, was he angry towards man for causing the sin, for him to have to sacrifice his own son? Uh, so that was one view. Uh, then we had the Satan's view, which was interesting. Satan's view of the cross. How did Satan view the cross? Did he? And I had never thought about it at that point what Satan thought of when he saw the cross. Is it, is it possible that maybe he, you know, thought he won, you know, that he thought in that moment, I've got him, it's over, you know, I'm going to win. Did he view it as a failure that he, you know, had failed? That's Jesus's um, last chance to mess up. And he didn't. Uh, we, we just basically took it as if, you know, we're looking from Satan's perspective. Then we took it from <clears throat> the apostles point of view. Like how did, how did the apostles view the cross? I know John's really the only one that's there present at the cross, but how did they view the cross? What did they think about before and after Jesus was, was crucified? And then we talked about our view of the cross. How do we as Christians view the cross? So those, it really was a great series, uh, and it helped me to have a greater appreciation for how we view uh, this symbol. Because in Bible days, if you saw a cross, it wasn't a good thing. I mean, it was a symbol of hatred. It's, it's kind of like if you see somebody now with a noose hanging out of a tree in their yard. Or if you see, you know, um, an electric chair you know, setting in somebody's garage, <clears throat> you're like, what is that? It, it doesn't make any sense. We're really, you know, we get scared over stuff like that, stuff for horror movies and stuff. But we do have a, a fairly favorable view of a cross. You know, I, I bought a cross just this last week, and I have bought several crosses over the years. Not, not like big crucifixes, but I'm talking about crosses on necklaces, crosses maybe on jewelry, um, crosses that can be sitting on my desk. I'm looking at a cross right now in my office. <clears throat> so I like to keep crosses around. It's a quick reminder. I have a cross hanging in my truck. So that way, you know, I can think about Jesus, just a quick reminder every single day. <clears throat> so that's, that's, that's how I view the cross. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I adore the cross, but I'm, I'm very grateful for the cross. It's like my scar. I can, every time I see it, it's, that's my sins that, um, that nailed Jesus there. So I thought maybe we would we would just kind of pause today and, and focus on the purpose of the cross. Because we can go back to the Old Testament and we know that the cross or hanging on a tree was a punishment that was declared in the Old Testament. That you could be killed on a tree as long as you know, there are some requirements about whether or not it's overnight, whether or not it's on a holiday or something like that. <clears throat> so... Those are the kinds of things that we, we, we will talk about and think about. But what was the purpose of the cross? Like, why did, why did Jesus have to go to a cross? Have you ever thought about why didn't Jesus have him, why didn't the Lord have Jesus stoned? You know, why didn't, why didn't he drown him? Why didn't he, um, you know, do something like run him through with swords? Why the cross? What's the purpose of the cross? Why? Well, one thing we know is that there's a lot of shedding of blood on a cross. Now, I understand this is kind of a graphic 
conversation here, so I'm going to try to keep it PG. But the reason why the cross is the most cruel form of punishment at that time that they could do. And remember that before the cross, Jesus was scourged, which that, by the way, is probably, to, in my estimation, worse than the cross. That would have been the worst form of punishment that was available uh, if you didn't want to kill somebody. And sometimes it would kill people, but they did not want to kill him through the scourging. They just wanted to have him so badly mangled he couldn't be recognized, which is just a horrific way to think about it. But the purpose of the cross was, first of all, to redeem us. If blood had to be shed, go back to the Old Testament, the sacrifice of lambs, it had to be done in such a way that people would know redemption was given for all mankind. There had to be a shedding of a lot of blood. In fact, at the time that Jesus is pierced in his side, we get the impression that he's literally drained, literally drained of blood. Now, that tells us, you know, when you think about the sacrifice of the, the lamb on the altar, that's what they would do. Jesus is the lamb of God. He's being slaughtered for all of humanity. And, and because of the graphic nature of it, because of the frightening image of the cross in that day, it was a clear sign to all those that are present and those that would hear about the story of Jesus' crucifixion that whatever he died for, it must have been absolutely awful. And it was. And it is. The blood of the humanity. All humans from the beginning to the end of time are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's why he chose to go to a cross. And, and, and a lot of the iniquity, a lot of the sin that he covers are things that are not even seen. You know, they're not seen. There's some people say, well, I hadn't sinned in years. Well, you may not have sinned on the outside of your body, but you probably have with your mind, with your heart, and you've thought things that are evil. And you may have broken the laws of God by, by you know, basically virtually, you know, visually in your mind, thinking about something that was inappropriate. So what's the purpose of the cross? The purpose of the cross is to cover all of mankind with the blood of the Savior. And, it, and with that, it brings reconciliation. Now, this is an odd way to look. When I did, we worked on, Mike and I worked on the lesson um, for how God viewed, the Father viewed the cross. It's all about reconciliation. God says the only way that humans are going to be able to come to me again and be united with me in eternity is if if my son, my one and only son, has to die in the most cruel way imaginable. And that's exactly what happened. In that way, we're not a criminal anymore. We're not a slave to sin. We're not this evil being covered in sin and iniquity. We are actually becoming, through his death and our own death and resurrection and baptism, a true child of God. And so Jesus does that to reconcile us to the Father, that That is, to me, such an exciting part of viewing the cross. That's why I look at it not with eyes of disdain and frustration and sadness. I look at the cross as a, a symbol of achievement. I mean, this is, this is the glory and crown. This is the greatest thing Jesus ever did because it, it affects me. It affects you. I, I am truly grateful Jesus died on a cruel cross. And, you know, Galatians 4 in Romans chapter 6, Paul will identify this idea of adoption, that we're brought into the family of God because of the shedding of blood, because by nature I had no claim to God. I had no claim to eternal life until Jesus shed his blood for me, and then I participate with it, as, as Romans chapter 6 talks about, in death, burial, and resurrection. 
Now, when you begin to look at the, the hostile world that Jesus was in, he, I mean, they, they, they longed for this kind of a crucifixion. I think I mentioned before some time ago, my great-grandfather uh, was uh, the last man in the state of Missouri, or supposedly in the state of Missouri, I think there may be some contention, to ever hang somebody, because he was he called the hanging judge. He was um, one who performed the hangings. He was the judge who would basically decide the fate of an individual. And our family has always told that he was the last person to hang somebody in the state of Missouri as a judge before they came up with other forms of punishment. And I think about what it's like for somebody to have to make that judgment call to say, this person's going to die, this person's going to be saved. You see, God knew exactly what was going to happen when Jesus came in the manger. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus knew, I think by age 12, what his ultimate purpose was supposed to be. So there's this sorrow, this sadness to the cross, because it is. But people would come from miles around to watch a hanging. I mean, they would. It was like their one form of entertainment, and so they would have a whole production leading up to it, and then they would have the the hanging. And in this day, there were people that wanted to go out. Why were the streets lined with people when he's coming out dragging the cross? By the way, you ever think about that? Why Simon uh, compelled to come and help him cr- carry the cross to Calvary? Because it was so. It was taking him so long to get through the crowd. They said, "We need somebody to come help," and so they pull this guy out of the crowd and make him help Jesus. But the cross, again, people wanted to see it. They wanted to see the crucifixion, and they did it in record numbers. Sometimes there were dozens of people crucified at the same time. In Jesus' particular time, at this moment, when he dies on the cross of Calvary, there is him and two thieves, which uh, I'm going to argue that that middle cross was set out for Barabbas. Nevertheless, that cross, that center cross, is where Jesus was destined to hang. That's his spot. That's his place. And it can't be over-exaggerated that you and I are supposed to be on that center cross. I mean, that's we deserve the death that Jesus received. That's the whole point of Isaiah 53. He's the suffering servant. And so we learn a lot about what Jesus' mindset was like by what he said on the cross. You know, we study the seven sayings of the cross, you know, where he basically uh, goes through and asks for forgiveness of the people below him. He tells them he's thirsty. Uh, he reminds them of the prophecies of Psalm 22 by starting off to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So many things like that. He prays on the cross. <clears throat> he asks for John to watch his mother. So we see a lot about Jesus's, um, you know, actions. We see his thought process, for the most part, in those. But when you and I start thinking about our place there in the center cross, we realize what Jesus was saying early on in his ministry, that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him. Now we when we follow him in baptism, we die and we're raised up in in a new life. But after that point, we have to continue to take our cross with us. Now why would Jesus say it's a cruel cross? It's a horrible thing. Why well, would say I need you to take a cross up and carry it every day as a continual reminder? I don't think that means there are people who do this. I interviewed one on Real Trap last year. These guys that'll walk thousands of miles with a cross rolling it around. And and I, I do think that some of that is attention getting, but I also think that there are some people who do it that sincerely want to know what it's like 
to have to carry that thing to be able and of course most of them have wheels on them so it's kind of it's kind of cheating but anyways people are specifically trying to get draw attention to the cross so that's what they do and you know it would be extremely difficult to carry a physical cross so i'm telling you we start looking at this from our perspective that we ought to be on that cross we ought to be carrying a cross around every day what does that mean that means that you and i have to be a living sacrifice Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Every single day I have to make a conscious choice that I want to take up my own cross and that I want to follow Jesus carrying my own cross. I mean, who represented me? Jesus did. And that's great. But I have to continually want to follow him, to seek him out. So I I do. I look at the cross and I say, man, I'm so grateful that Jesus did that. Um, and it was it was a scandal too, by the way. I mean, from the moment Jesus was born, um, there were people that were questioning his identity, questioning his father, who's his father, questioning his mother and her intentions. I can't imagine somebody like that at, at her young age being accused of, you know, some kind of a you know a sexual sin, which is what they would have done. You you don't get pregnant without being with a man, and so all the controversy and the scandal that surrounded that. She accepted it. Joseph accepted it. And I've I've frequently taught that Satan is not the first person who tried to kill Jesus. And Herod wasn't either. Uh, The first person who could have killed Jesus is Joseph. Joseph had every right to, she was betrothed to Mary. And if he found out she was pregnant, it says put her away secretly. That was the nice thing to do. He could have had her stoned to death because they were were uh, considered to be betrothed. So he could have taken her life, and that would have included the baby Jesus inside of her tummy. So we start thinking about how how Jesus did all this. How did he get to that point at the cross where he said, now it's time. It's I'm ready for it. Uh, even in the garden, he's saying, let the cup pass if it can. I mean, man, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to look at the cross in that way. So when you go to Isaiah 53... And you look at what Jesus did in verse 4. It says he carried our sorrows, he carried our sins, he carried our burdens, he carried our guilt, he carried our heartache, he carried our shame, he carried our weaknesses, he carried our mistakes, he carried our pain, our imperfections, and he carried the punishment. He accepted it as his own, the punishment of our sins because of our sins. Why did Jesus do it? Because you he could not stand the thought of spending eternity without you. And so he took your, it was your crown, it was your cross. So it's your shame, it's my shame. And he said, I'm going to take your place. At the last minute, he comes in and he saves the day, kind of like a, a hero in a movie. And he died also to give us peace. You start thinking about something else that um, Isaiah 53 points out is he's he is the one who gives peace he's he's the prince of peace right and he's the one who brings restoration he's going to bring renewal he's going to bring revival and he does that through his death and he continues to do it to this day by being our mediator in prayer every time we go to god in prayer it goes through jesus we pray in jesus name so jesus is born our grief he's afflicted with our sorrows he's wounded for our sin he's bruised for our iniquity he's punished for our peace and he's wounded for our healing that's his story his story is my story that his cross is my cross why am i passionate about the cross because that's where i was supposed to be there are a lot of people that tell stories about say 9-11 where they were supposed to be in a certain place and if it hadn't been for traffic you know what would have happened can you imagine 
There are people who change their flights at the last minute and the flight may crash. And they say, oh, my goodness, I I knew a missionary that um, was headed to, I believe it was the Ivory Coast in Africa. And he was supposed to be on TWA Flight 800. Is that the one that that fell down in the sea that they they think might have been blown up? Um, So he was supposed to be on that plane that day. He was going on a mission trip. And something came up, and he had to reschedule, and he was going to fly out the next day instead. But he had tickets to that flight. He may I think the story was he changed it the night before. I don't think it was the day of, but he was supposed to be on that flight. So something could have changed. This is the saddest day in human history. It's also the greatest day, but it's the saddest day in human history that Jesus, a perfect being, had to die so that we might have salvation. And don't miss the prophet's message in Isaiah uh, either, because not only is he talking about our, look at how many times he uses the word we. You know, he. I, I look at it and say, you know, he was plain. You know, he says he was plain, wasn't comely. You know, he wasn't uh, the type of person that was good, good looking, extremely good looking, we'll say. Um, and he says that he did that for our, so we could be beautiful, so that we could be seen as, as holy and righteous. Uh, he was cursed so we could be blessed. He was silent so that we can speak. He was cut off so we could be attached. He was killed so we could live. And he had so little so we could have so much. I mean, he was rejected so that we could be received. He labored and toiled and worked and served and was tempted so that we could have rest and salvation. Everything Jesus did was for me and for you. And that's why the cross is such a a perfect picture of what salvation should look like. Horrific, rugged, nasty, messy, but yet it's beautiful because it is the source of my salvation. Not the cross itself, but what was what hung on that cross. My grandma passed away a few years ago. And for those of you who know me, um, my grandma was like my mom. I mean, I, I loved my mother, but we didn't, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And, um, I lived on my own the last, almost the last full year of high school, ran away from home a few times, got kicked out, you know, so I, I had some strained relationships, but my grandma, I stayed with her almost every summer of my life. I loved my grandmother. And when she passed away, I had to go to the funeral by myself and, um, my my kids were on a trip, but I, I ended up, I went by myself and I started thinking about what I wanted to keep from grandma, like what everybody's fighting over this and fighting over that, you know, what, what all they're going to divide up and so forth. And I went into the kitchen and I took a bowl out of the cabinet. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, try to stretch it here and say I didn't take anything else, but I, I did get permission to take the things I did. I got a little plaque that hung next to her uh, closet that she read every morning, the Serenity Prayer, little little uh, thingy next to her next to her closet. So I I took that little plaque, and I got this bowl, and that's pretty much it. I did get her Bible, which I love that, but this this bowl I pulled out, and the family's like, "You want that?" And I said, "Yes, I do." And they're like, really? I said, yeah, I'm going to put it in my suitcase, wrap it real tight, and hopefully it won't get broken. And it sets at my house. Why do I love that bowl so much? Well, it's just a bowl. There's nothing special about it. It's a it's a bowl. It's got brown lines inside. You know, it's, uh, it's a serving bowl. It's not fancy. She probably picked it up at a garage sale. 
But I remember staying with my grandma, she would, if she even thought for a moment we'd get up in time for breakfast, she would make scrambled eggs for us every time. Made it in the microwave. And she would scramble eggs up and put cheese in them and put them in that bowl. And I have that bowl now. Now, I haven't eaten off of it, believe it or not. I just kept the bowl. <laughs> One of these days I'll make, you know, start making eggs for my my children. But um, and maybe my grandkids will eat out of it. So, but I have this bowl because the bowl means something special to me because my grandmother labored over and over and over with that, with that bowl, making me breakfast, making me something special. And sometimes at night too, we'd have breakfast for dinner. So the symbol that, that bowl serves to me as a symbol of my mother's, my grandmother's love and how much she wanted to serve. It's the same thing. You have little items in your house. You have little things you've kept from your grandparents or maybe your parents or a sibling or a good friend. You've kept those little mementos, and they, to you, are tremendous treasures. So I don't think God's disappointed when we decide to collect crosses or keep crosses. But we have to keep in mind that it is, it is in our culture, it's, it's something that's, you know, it's not taboo. But it does represent something horrible. But Jesus has turned something that looked absolutely ugly, horrific, and terrible into something that some of us consider to be beautiful. Now, isn't that a terrific metaphor for our own individual lives? That the Lord can take this lump of clay he formed out of the dust and breathed into it the breath of life into his, into his nostrils, and that somehow me and you and our human flesh can do something profitable, can do something good in the name of God, and, and we look like you know anybody else on the earth, we're just human, but yet he's put his spirit inside of us to act differently, to be different, to be a seal of salvation, and also to be a light to the world. So Jesus, Jesus chooses the cross. He chose it. He wanted it. There's an old gospel hymn, and I, I wish I had the music to it. I've looked it up a couple times online, but it's not the way that I remember it. But we used to live in Branson, Missouri, way back in the day. We go to a lot of those country music shows. I know, I know, forgive me. I hate country music, but back in the day, I listened to a lot of that and gospel music and stuff like that. And there was a song called He Grew the Tree. And it's a beautiful song. I had the CD once upon a time. But he grew the tree that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. The Lord had to form the tree from its seed, from its infancy, to get it to that point that it would be cut down and made into a cross, the cross. Now, there was some searching after Jesus died on the cross. You may know this. Constantine's mother claimed that she found the cross, and apparently they, what they thought was the cross, they took it apart and um, they cut strips off of it and sold them, uh, and the money went to the you know, basically to the Roman government. They went to the, to what is now we see as the Catholic Church. And somebody said by the by the third, fourth centuries that there were so many shards and, and toothpicks off of that off of the, the so called cross of Jesus that there was enough to build the ark. <laughs> so there was a lot of fake profiteering over that. Um in fact I love I love what the old phrase that says, beware of the prophet seeking profit. And so if somebody's trying to sell you that, um, but I don't know what happened to Jesus's cross. Not a clue. But I'll tell you something. I guarantee you when they took it down and they saw the bloodstains on it, there were people that were ashamed because Jesus was sinless. 
That's why the, the man, the soldier at the foot of the cross will say, surely this was the Son of God. I mean, they knew what they were doing was wrong. And yet they crucified this innocent person because he was, he was intent on taking the cross. Like, a lot like Paul, you know, later on saying, I got to go to Caesar, got to go to Caesar, got to go to Caesar. And eventually it would cost him his life. And I love how Jesus, when he, in that last few moments on the cross, mustering just enough strength to say something. Remember, it's just a horrible scene, how he's having to lift up off of his feet to breathe after he's been beaten so badly up against that unsanded cross that's covered with his his flesh and blood. And he says to the crowd and to the heavens, it's finished. It was he was satisfied. I said that when I finish eating, you know. I'm eating, I get full. People say, We want another helping. No, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm I'm full. Jesus says it's finished. I've done everything that I was called to do. And he carried our sins away to the grave. And then he rose up in a new life, by the way, which is the resurrection, which is a another great part of the story. But he received his glory just like you and I are going to receive ours. And now he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, helping us in prayer, asking God for forgiveness. It's a great story. But it's just a reminder today, and I know our time's gone, that we need to consider what the cross means to me. What does the cross mean to you? Because people are, are interested and wondering, why do we worship the cross? No, we worship the man who hung on the cross, who is not fully man. He was fully man and fully God at the same time. Wrap your mind around that. The cross is a powerful image. We need to use it wisely. Uh, and we need to use it as a teaching tool. Every time we see one, say, you know what I think about when I see that? I think about my Savior dying in my place on that tree in on Calvary nearly 2,000 years ago. God is truly good. So let's think about the cross and let's take it up daily and serve him. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow the Reynolds Wrap podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and also check out our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you have any questions or if you'd like for us to address a specific topic in the future, you can write to us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Be blessed and may the Lord guide you as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. Thank you.